Well, good morning. I just want to say before we start that during the summer holidays, I spent some time in England and in Lanzarote and in Scotland, and my favourite bit was Scotland. <laughs> so in your face. Um, which was lovely, and I did put a couple of photos on Facebook and things like that, and I would highly recommend if you get a chance to go up the west coast, up Inverary, up to the road towards Oban, you do that. You make that journey and you'll enjoy the scenery on five of the 365 days where it's sunny. <coughs> That'd be great. So we are looking at Genesis, starting a new uh, series. Uh, we've done the first 11 chapters of Genesis already, so we're starting off at uh, chapter 12. So we're going to start off by reading the first nine verses of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land. I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Let's just quickly pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I do pray that today you'll help us just focus on it to learn from it that uh, you will correct us if necessary, that you will encourage us, and that you will help us just to live lives which are more glorifying to you. Help us this morning just to bring glory to you. Help us to focus and concentrate, and may your spirit just be with us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. This is a quick map of the area. This was stolen from Google Images. Um, what we are looking at, so in the previous chapter, uh, read the end of chapter 11 if you like, and you'll see that... Uh, Abraham's father and his family, they leave Ur where they've been based and they travel and th there's a plan to migrate and when they reach this town of Haran they stop and that's where our journey commences now from here we're, we're moving this way down in, in this part of the chapter and uh, this particular outline covers the rest of chapter 12 as well and a little bit of chapter 13 as well. So just a little bit of an overview as to where this journey actually is. There's probably very few people here who haven't heard of Abram or Abraham in Scripture. He's got quite a big part to play. He takes a quarter of this book, and there's about 40 different references to him in the New Testament. In the previous chapter, and you might not remember as far back as that, um, we learned some of the basic details. His wife's name, Sarah, that she was barren, that they were childless, the whole extended family of dad, son, daughter-in-law, uh, grandson had settled in Haran. And although we don't really know exactly how long for, we can assume it had been for a good few years because he's managed to pick up quite a lot of prosperity. He's got quite a lot of servants and 
and there are people alongside. So things must have been going quite well. With the exception of not having a family, things seem to be quite settled in the life of Abraham. Things are ticking along, probably quite peaceful, things are set up well, and he's now reached the age of 75. And suddenly, in steps the Lord. Now sometimes God comes in and he whispers gentle adjustments to our lives. You know, maybe a new role in church or a slightly different focus at work, something like that. And it's just a little bit of a, an adjustment to our already set up life. And then sometimes God comes in and smashes his way into our life. And he changes everything. And he calls for a complete overhaul. And that's what Abraham was about to face. God comes in and he says, right, Abraham, uh, get up, move house, uh, leave everything you know, all of the traditions, all of the people, all of your father's people, everything that you've kind of grown up with, leave it all behind, just take your family and, and get a move on. And just go where I tell you. I'm not telling you where, where you're going, but just get moving. What? I'm sorry, God, that seems quite unreasonable. That's, that's quite a dramatic step. That's something quite high impact. But sometimes that's just exactly what God does. And you might think, oh, well, this is probably quite predictable for a man like Abraham because he comes from such an elite family background. You know, he's got this great heritage behind him. Well, I challenge you to have a look at the previous chapter and look at the genealogy of Abraham, and you'll see some very familiar names. Arphaxad, Shelah, Peleg. Not exactly the names that we know very well from Scripture. Not really the well-known names, because actually Abraham didn't come from this family heritage that was well-established and well-known. In fact, we don't read about it in the previous chapter, but his father, we read about in, in Joshua chapter um, 24, was a, an idol worshipper. He was an idolatrous man. That was Abraham's heritage. And is that going to hold God back? Is that going to stop God from stepping into Abraham's life and calling Abraham and and making great demands of him? Well, it certainly isn't. Think about Gideon and Judges. Gideon was going to be used to essentially save Israel in that time. And what was Gideon's response when God called him? He said, well, God, I, I'm, I'm just I'm one man, and I come from a lowly family in one of the lowest tribes. There's, there's nothing going on for me. And yet God said, I'm going to use you regardless. Because your family background, your heritage, who your dad was, things like that, they don't matter. Abraham. And so God wasn't bothered about his family background. He didn't care. Because God was going to come in and he knew Abraham and he knew his potential and he knew his heart and he knew his mind and God had in his sovereignty decided that Abraham was going to be a man of huge blessing. But the world didn't know him at all. It was really nothing to the world. I wonder if that's you. I wonder how you feel about your stand, your status in this world. Are you significant? Are you nothing? Do you come from some um, great family tree? Mine apparently goes all the way back to Bonnie Prince Charlie. There you are. I'd have been on the throne. <laughs> Stupid English invasions. Um, I wonder if you are a CEO of some great multinational country, uh, company. I wonder if you're just some lowly chimney sweep. I don't know. We get a lot of chimney sweeps these days. 
Is your status, is your job title, is any of that stuff going to make any difference to God's ability to call you in the way that he called Abraham? Well, it certainly isn't. That's a lesson that we learn from Abraham. And he's going to, regardless of Abraham's social background, he's going to use him for his glory and he's going to be an unbelievable blessing. And whether you feel unprepared or underqualified or whatever it is, when you feel the call of God in your life, it doesn't matter because God can use you regardless. Just like he did with Abraham. He also didn't care about Abraham's age. 75 years old, Abraham was, when God eventually comes to him and says, come on, get a move on, get moving. 75. And our age is not a number that we can hide behind with God. We don't get to say to God, I'm too young. I'm too young to do what you're calling me for. I'm too old to do what you're calling me for. Or I'm kind of, I'm in the middle of my life and I'm working and when I retire, that's when I'm going to have more time and we'll speak to the retired people. You find out apparently that's not true. Um, We don't get to hide behind our age because when God wants to call us, he will call us and we need to be ready for it. And God's going to call us potentially regardless of our comfort levels because Abraham was fine where he was. He's quite happy. He was set up. He had his family. He had his, his father's um, family around about him. He, he understood the traditions. He understood the land he was in. He was comfortable. And yet, regardless of that, God is going to step in and call him out of it all. And God also didn't care whether he was ready and waiting. And it might be that Abraham was. He knew that there was something going on in the world and, and changes had to be made. And maybe he was sitting there waiting for God's call. I suspect he probably wasn't. And regardless of where Abraham was in his own personal walk, God steps in at this time. In his sovereignty, he sees the big picture. He knows Abraham's the right man, this is the right time, and God is going to call him, regardless of all of these things. And it wasn't going to be easy. Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. It was going to be hard. Leave it all behind, Abraham. Leave the family, leave the people you know, leave it all behind. And that's quite often how God does challenges. To leave it all behind. Now, God sometimes can use us, and obviously can use us when things are comfortable. When we're quite happy and, what, and we're at peace with where we are, God can use us. But sometimes God makes us feel quite uncomfortable. And maybe today you're in that position where you, you don't really feel very comfortable in your life. Maybe things are going on in the background and things are going on around about you and you don't feel comfortable. And that might just be because God's trying to isolate you. Because what Abraham needed was actually to be taken away from an idolatrous nation so that God could really use him. Because there's going to be a conflict of interest and, it, and Abraham needed to be taken out of all of that. And that's why he calls him. He, he could have called him to stay there and do great things there, but actually God calls him to depart away from that. And it might be that today in your life, you're feeling a call from God to be involved in some work and, and things are feeling uncomfortable because maybe God just wants to get you to himself or maybe just make you more reliant on him where you know that if anything is going to happen in your life, where you're going to be a blessing and you're going to be blessed by God, it's going to be because of him. But there's one thing that God does say. And it's this. He says to Abraham, I'm reading between the lines slightly, regardless of what you have, Abraham, regardless of what you have had, 
Regardless of what I ask you to give up, your future is better with me in it than your past without me was. And regardless of what God calls us to maybe sacrifice in our lives, a walk with God in our future is better than anything this world can give us and better than any past that we can have without him. And Abram was going to walk an incredible journey, but he was going to walk it with God at his side. And he was going to do remarkable things, and he was going to be blessed in incredible ways, but he could only do it when he responded to the great challenging call from God. Because when God does call, he has a tendency to ask quite a lot, to ask for sacrifice, to ask big questions of us. And we should be ready for that. And and we should be willing for God to do that for us. And it's not comfortable. It makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. And quite often, we're actually quite unwilling to ask, God, what is it that you want from me just because of what his answer might be? And maybe there's somebody sitting here today and you're feeling a call from God to be involved in a work or to change an aspect of life. And it does feel uncomfortable. And it feels like there might be a big sacrifice involved in it. And maybe others aren't. God wants to call you to his work. Whether it's big or something smaller, he wants to. And maybe we should all just be taking time aside in our day just to, just to get in contact with God. And say, God, what is it that you want to call me to do? Is there something new you want me to be involved in? And even if it is a scary answer we get, we should be willing to be in that uncomfortable position. And for Abraham, it it wasn't going to be just a small part of his life as well. It was going to be all-encompassing. Because God doesn't want us to compartmentalize our life from him either. He doesn't want us to have, you know, 85% of my life is for you, God. And do what you want with that, but I've got 15% that, well, that's for me. And I don't want you involved in that. I'm trying to shut the door. And that can look different to different people. It could be where we go after work and how we socialize with our colleagues. And God, when I I go and have a drink in the pub with, with my work friends, and I'm just, I'm cooling off after a long day, I don't want you there, God, listening to my jokes involved in the conversation. So back off from that part of my life. Or, or maybe it's our home life. God, you can be with me in work, and you can be with me in church, but when I'm in the house, I don't want you involved in that part of my life. Or our free time. Or our computers. Or our phones. There's a whole bunch of parts of our life that maybe we want to shut God out of. When God like he was going to do with Abraham. God was going to say to Abraham, I want everything. And I want to be part of everything. And I'm going to infiltrate every part of your life. Give it over to me. And I'll be an incredible blessing to you. And we don't know exactly how the conversation panned out between Abraham and God. We don't have the details like we did with Moses and and his call in the burning bush. We don't have that kind of detail here, but it must have been a convincing conversation. Because Abraham is left in absolutely no doubt that he needs to give his life to God. And he needs to respond to the call. And so when we read about Abraham's reaction, as we've said, there's no indication that he was really standing there waiting. He's quite comfortable in life already. 
But right from the outset, and as we go through the next few chapters of Genesis, we will see obedience, a real attitude of obedience. And here we don't read of questioning, of negotiation with Moses. We don't hear of a reluctance to give up all of this stuff. In verse 4, it simply says, So Abraham went. Now maybe there was a little bit more behind it. But that's the details that we get from Scripture. Abraham just went. Can I suggest two reasons? Two reasons why Abraham was so willing to respond to the call of God. Firstly, why be obedient? Well, God wasn't willing to ask a sacrifice from Abraham without firstly making promises to Abraham. And secondly, Abraham had his eye on the future. When we read in our chapter about the promises that God made for Abraham, there are seven, seven statements that God makes to him. He says, um, I'm going to make a great nation from you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great. I'll cause you to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And I will use you to bless all people. And what a series of promises for Abraham to hold on to. Yes, he was being challenged to give up a lot for God. And the call was a huge call. But what a set of promises that God was going to make to him. And as I said, God must have been pretty convincing in the way he spoke to him. And he's left in no doubt of the sovereignty, of the power, of the might of this God to fulfill his promises. And it's worth just remembering. We're told that his, his wife was barren. And yet the first promise that God makes to Abraham was, I will make your descendants great. Well, at that point, I would have been thinking, my alarm bells would have been going off. Straight away, I'd have been saying, well, God's a little bit skeptical. You know, my wife's barren. We can't actually have children. We've been trying, whatever it is. But no, actually, Abraham understands that this God is powerful. And he's mighty, and his hand is huge. And he can do whatever he says. And he can utterly rest on the promises. This is a God who cannot lie. And he's in control of all of these situations. And over the next few months, as we track Abraham and his journey through these chapters, we're going to see how these promises are fulfilled. And all of them, we will see, are fulfilled through the power of God. And it's really important that we realize that actually the fulfillment of these promises was not based on Abraham at all. It wasn't anything to do with his ability to keep close to God, to follow God's commandments, his obedience. None of that was actually the important thing. The fulfillment of these promises was entirely going to be on the strength of God and his hand. Because Abraham was going to screw up. He was going to get things wrong. Tune in next week to see how that plays out. He was not going to get it all right. But the fulfillment of these promises were based entirely on God and not on Abraham. And that's the same for us. You know, our salvation, if you are, have a personal living relationship with God, it's not because of your strength. It's not because of your ability to stay close to him, to be obedient, to be good. Your salvation is based entirely on what Christ has done on the cross. And that's it. No matter how bad your day's been, how sinful 
your day has been. It actually doesn't matter when it comes to your salvation because you're in a firm grip of Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters. The strength of God's hand is all that matters for us. And we should be encouraged by that. And God has made us promises, real, tangible promises that we should be able to hold on to. For example, he says in Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you walk in a living relationship with God, you are under no condemnation at all. And God will not hold you to account for your sins because Christ has already dealt with it. That's a promise that we can hold on to. In 1 Corinthians 10, we're told that there is no temptation that God will allow us to go through that is greater than we can handle. God will be there by our side, regardless of temptation. He will not let us walk a temptation that we cannot handle. We're told in Psalm chapter 9 that the Lord is the refuge for the oppressed. And regardless of the trouble that we are going through, we can go back to God and he will be there beside us. He is our stronghold. He will never leave us. In Psalm 103, we are told of the Lord's love, which is poured out to those who fear him. And God's love and mercy is poured out to us, and we can hold on to that as a promise that we have from him. In John 14, we are promised the peace of God, a peace that passes all understanding. And no matter what this world throws at, no matter what news stories come up, We have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And in that same chapter, we're told that the Lord will send an advocate, a comforter, the Holy Spirit, somebody who will be there beside us, indwelling us, and comforting us no matter what the world sends. We have real, tangible promises. And the God who is able to fulfill the promises of Abraham is able to fulfill the promises for us today as well. And we don't stand here in region and preach some prosperity gospel. Telling you that if you are a Christian, if you have a relationship with God, everything is going to go swimmingly. It'll be a bed of roses in plain sailing. We don't tell you that. Because we're all going to find out through one means or another that's just not the case. And things go wrong. But no matter what it is that life throws at you, and no matter how dark the path becomes, God is there for us. And he will be there for us to walk beside us and to encourage us and to keep us going. And it's easy to say that when you're standing here. And it's hard to live that out when the world really does get dark around about you. But speak to any of the people who have gone through those types of experiences with God at their side, and they will tell you that God was there for them, fulfilling promises every step of the way. So we can rest on this God, this incredible God. So back to Abraham. Not only was he willing to take those promises and to believe them and to hold on to them and let them encourage him to to accept this call and to walk this call, but he also had an eye in the future. We're told in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was waiting for a day in faith that God's kingdom would be open and clear and revealed. It says this in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his sons, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city whose foundations, uh, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, there's two aspects to this, to this part of, of Hebrews. 
You might hear at certain points being told that this, this journey into Canaan, into the promised land, into a land that flows with milk and honey, as is described, is a picture, a type of what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. You'll hear that at times. You need to be very careful with that analogy. I disagree. That's not a picture of heaven. Because as we'll see when we trace um, the, the story of, of the children of Israel through into Canaan and over the Jordan and into this promised land, their land was going to be absolutely, well, their journey was going to be beset with battles and death and war. That's not what it's like when we reach heaven. Canaan is not really a picture of heaven at all for us. When we reach heaven, when we go over the proverbial Jordan, which is death, we're going to be immediately in the presence of Christ. It's going to be a time of absolute glory. We will reign with him, and we will be glorified with him. There's going to be no temptations, no battles to face, no enemies to evict from the land. It's just going to be bliss. We're far better looking at the story of the children of Israel as our journey through life, walking towards heaven. Where there are temptations to battle, where there are evils and enemies to overcome in our life, but with God at our side. But Abraham, I believe, had been, in, in some extent, God had revealed to him that there was going to be a time in the future where God's kingdom was going to reign on this earth. We're told in Isaiah chapter 2 that one day the spears will be beaten into pruning forks, uh, pruning forks where, where peace will reign, where wars will be done away with. And I believe that, in some extent, Abraham had been, had been revealed to him that there was going to be this time of peace and God's kingdom was going to reign, and he was going to reign on a throne on earth. And that's what Abraham was looking forward to. And he knew that this was the God. This God who had called him out of his home, out of his land, to, to make sacrifices and, and to be a blessing. God was calling him. And God was powerful. And God had a future. And he saw the bigger picture. I wonder, what do you look forward to? The question's already been asked. Looking forward to going back to school? Probably not. Looking forward to sending your kids to school? Probably. The next holiday? Yeah. The next paycheck? The next set of pocket money? The next Newcastle game? Probably not. I wonder what we look forward to. Because when we look forward to what we look forward to, if it's always wrapped up in this world, we're missing out on something amazing. Because God has got something incredible prepared for us. We're told, and there are no Google images that do it justice, we are told that there is a heaven prepared for us. And Christ is right there, right now, doing exactly that. We read in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. And if all we're doing is thinking about the next thing on earth, we are missing out on a massive thing to look forward to. And regardless, again, of how dark life gets, Christ is preparing a mansion for us. And we should be encouraged. And when we have this as our focus, when this is our goal, when this is, our, this is the end game, if you like, hopefully it changes our perspective a little bit. It makes the dark times just a little bit brighter. And maybe even changes our willingness to share our gospel message with others around about us. 
So Abraham rests on these two things. Firstly, the knowledge that God's promises are sure, that his hand is mighty, and the long-term perspective to know that God has plans which are greater than what is immediately visible to him. So how does Abraham respond? Does he um and ah about it? Well, maybe he does. Think it through, probably, eh? But he's marked by total obedience. And what is going to be the outcome of this obedience for Abraham? Well, discomfort, challenge, sacrifice. That's what Abraham immediately gets when he responds obediently to the call from God. But he knows, as has been promised to him, that it's going to be blessing, incredible blessing. And that's exactly what Abraham does get. And we'll see that again over the next few months. He's going to be blessed with, with a family, if you like, with a, 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 a people who is greater than the sands of the sea, with a land for those same descendants, a name that is still revered today, and he's going to be blessed incredibly, but more, even more than that, even more than the blessings he's going to receive, he is going to be a blessing to people around him. You know, through one of his descendants, Joseph, he, Egypt and the surrounding world is going to be saved from famine. Through another descendant, King David, Israel is going to be led in, in a great way, 99% of the time in a way which is highly glorifying to God, and he's going to be hugely blessed. And in another descendant of his, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, salvation for the world is going to be procured. And when God says, you are going to be a blessing to others around about him, when we look at his descendants, his genealogy, it's exactly what happens. And his immediate people, the nation of the Jews, the nation of Israel, they were going to be given a land to inherit, to live in. It was going to be their own land. Now, it's a hard land to find these days because it's a land which is torn apart by anger, by prejudice, by all manner of different things. But God is going to bless Abraham. And it's going to be his faith and obedience that allows him to walk into that blessing. And God looks for the same for you. What if Abraham had said, no, um, I'm not really willing to, to accept everything that you've called me to. What if he had said, right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do bits of it, but I don't want to do other parts. I don't want to leave the people, like my, my father's people. I don't want to leave them. Well, he wouldn't have got anywhere. What if he had said, well, I'll, I'm willing to leave the people and I'll move, but I want to take all of their kind of traditions with me. Well, that would have caused chaos. Because as God gives the Mosaic law later on, there'd have been a massive conflict. And he'd been carrying all of these pagan ideas and idolatrous worshippings with him. And it had to be full and complete obedience, which is exactly what Abraham does. It just wasn't going to be comfortable. But what a blessing. Millions of people are going to be blessed down through the generation because of Abraham's obedience. And so he travels on. As far as this famous tree, Moriah, Shechem, place of significance. Later on in, in chapter 35 of the same book, the same tree is mentioned. And it's a place where Jacob is called by God to redevote himself to God. And he and his family take all of their jewellery and, and emblems, if you like, of their, their love of the world and they bury it all under this tree. It's quite a significant place. 
And when Abram arrives there, God re-establishes his promise. He says, this is the place that you are going to inherit. And, and, and you're going to be blessed like this. And so Abraham does the only thing he knows what to do. He builds an altar for God. He has a life full of altars, Abraham. And the altars, it might not seem like much to us today, but it's what he knew. And it was a token, it was something physical, and it said to God and to the people around about him, it said, I love you, God. I'm devoted to you. I will obey you. I will give everything for you. That's what these altars suggested. And they were public. They were declarations. And for you and I, I wonder where our altars actually are. Abraham's was a public devotion to God. Our altars might be slightly different. Objects in a life that really hold our passion, that really hold everything to it. Might be a computer. Might be a phone that we spend most of our time on. It might be uh, our status in life. It might be a paycheck, a bank balance. I wonder what our altars actually are. Because God wants our altars to be based on him. Your altar might be your Bible. That 15 minutes you have set aside in the morning where you devote yourself to God and you just think about and consider him and meditate on him. Maybe a charity, a great work that you're involved in to be a blessing on behalf of God. I wonder where our altars actually are in life. And God wants us to make these public declarations and may I challenge you, just like I challenge myself here, about how public my devotion is to God. And my workplace is not quite so difficult. But yours might be a whole lot more difficult. In our home life, maybe it's difficult to be publicly devoted to God. With a wider family, with our friends, in the pub, out socialising, at football, wherever it is, I wonder how easy it is for us to be publicly devoted to God. I wonder if God calls you today to be baptised which is a command of his, and a way of publicly devoting yourself. I wonder what it is that God is calling you to do. And so Abraham moves on. Obediently, always trusting that God knows best. That God has called him to be great, to to be blessed, and, and to do great things, and to be a blessing to other people. And so he moves on. He knows it's going to be tricky. It's going to be hard times ahead, and In one week's time, Abraham is going to find himself back exactly where he is, back at this exact same point, and that intervening chapter's worth of material. Abraham's learned a very hard lesson about himself, about God, and we'll find out about that next week, I think. Abraham's not going to get it right every time. Neither are you, neither am I. But what God really does want from us is to be a people who are devoted, listening for his call, willing to be obedient to his call, so that we can, yes, be blessed by God, but more importantly, be a blessing to other people around about. You might have received one of the cat uh, newsletters from Dawn today. Great read. Sorry? Oh, sorry, from Linda. Apologies. From Linda. In the bottom of it, there's a little square... And it's got a great little, it looks like a little meme. It's a great thing. 
And it says we are blessed so that we can bless other people. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, that could have been written for Abraham. Blessed so that he can be a blessing for other people. Because surely that's what we want from the world. Obedient to God, listening for his call, being blessed by him so that we can bless other people. And as we come towards an end today, may that just be an encouragement for you. Listen out for God's call. Challenge God to call you. And in doing so, weigh up the cost and give everything to it. Opening up every aspect of your life. One last point, just as I finish. The passage today is probably one of the pinnacle chapters of the Old Testament. It is a promise to Abraham that most of the Old Testament rests upon. It was Joseph Farah, I don't necessarily hold to this belief myself, but he was asked, what is your one conclusive piece of evidence for God? And his response was, just look at Israel. And that's something that you should probably do at some point. Have a look at the promises that were given to Abraham. And have a look at what has happened to the the Jewish nation and the people of Israel over the years, over the generations since that promise. And you'll see it's incredible. Many things have happened to them as a nation. They were dispersed from their land. They were reestablished in the land. They were dispersed again. And in 1950-whatever it was, you know, where the treaty was signed and they were given Israel back. And yet now still the place is in complete turmoil. And it's hard to find really the land that was promised to Abraham. But throughout all of the, the generations, the, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel, are the only remaining ancient civilization in the world. And for many people, they would say that that is solely because of a promise that was given to Abraham some 5,000 years ago, where God said to him, I will make your descendants great, and they will inherit this land. And I personally, I mean, whilst we can't go into the hermeneutics of it right now, I personally believe that the story is not finished for Israel. Keep an eye on them, because it's a very interesting nation, and things are going to happen, I believe, in Israel, because part of that promise I believe is still to come true. So keep an eye on it. Let's just finish and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the promises that you make. I thank you that when we look at these promises to Abraham, we see how they will be fulfilled in Scripture. And it just reminds us that you have a mighty, mighty hand. And you can fulfill any promises that you make. Father, help us to hold on to them. Help us to be encouraged. And Father, I just ask that as we go about our, our day today, our week, that we will just be drawn closer to you, knowing that we can give everything to you and listening for the call that you make on our lives. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be sacrificial so that we might be a blessing to those around about us. Father, I'm so grateful for everything you've done and for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll bless us in Christ's name.